Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. So our topic today is difficult conversations, and today we're drawing from this great book by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen, and the title of that book is Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. And this is a book that we have found, both Chris and I have found, very useful for our own development as leaders, as well as for using with our clients and with other executives to really help them to have these conversations that you have to have as a leader. And, you know, the stuff we're going to talk about today not only applies to the workplace, of course, because communication, relationships, difficult conversations, these are just a ubiquitous type of activity throughout all of life, you know. Uh, and so we're going to be drawing heavily from that book. Uh, I encourage you all to go buy it. And also, if you are Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, or Sheila Heen, the authors of the book, let us know. We'd love to have you on. Yeah, that's right, Ben. So I guess a summary of what we're going to talk about today is like, what is a difficult conversation and when should you have them, right? Yep. Um, there's three conversations. We'll talk about what they are and how to prepare for and conduct those difficult conversations. So this episode is super important to us. Um, ben, why why do you find it so important? Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that, just is just a part of life, you know, in order to uh, flourish in this world, kind of like we talk about in our manifesto, you know, a lot of this comes down to interpersonal relationships. And when people are afraid to have the difficult conversations that need to uh, occur, oftentimes that can lead to just suboptimal existence. And, you know, I just think that that having these difficult conversations and at least having the tools that you can use to have them is just such an important part of of our lives. Right. And I think this touches on pretty much every aspect of human relationships in the sense of we run into these problems all the time and how we react to them kind of shapes how our life moves forward. So, you know, I think everybody can relate to the sentiment of, oh, that didn't go how I wanted it to go, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and we can't read each other's minds. And, but we do have a theory of the mind where we can kind of guess and extrapolate based on um, our experiences with others in the past, which if you come from, say, a broken home or a not so great background, you may not be able to read situations so well. Um, if you're on the autism spectrum, um, you may have a hard time reading those things, but even without any of those, um, complicating factors, we just can't read each other's minds. So through life, as we grow up, we have these interactions with people and lots of times they derail and just don't go so well. That's right. Um, and, and that's what, uh, so I guess let's just launch into it. What is a difficult conversation, Ben? Yeah, so difficult conversations refer to any of those situations where you have, you know, two sides or multiple parties that that have different needs and wants and these are those conversations that generate some very strong emotions, you know, these are the ones where uh, when you start having them, you may start to feel really what we call emotionally flooded. And, you know, it, it can be really tough. 
Um, it's usually when there's a lot at stake, uh, either in terms of the actual outcome of the conversation or in terms of the relationship that you're trying to have with that person or trying to repair with that person. And, you know, you fear the outcome. Um, and these are, these are conversations that, you know, I just see, and I can, I can come up with examples from my own life. I can think of examples from um, people I've worked with and so forth that a lot of people just avoid them. Well, yeah, they're painful and yucky. Yeah, yeah. Well, one but, thing that they talk about in, in the book is, you know, whenever you have a difficult conversation, it is, you know, something akin to uh, throwing a grenade into the, into the mix, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so one of the things that then shapes both of our lives is this idea of evidence-based decision-making and evidence-based, you know, approach to things. And, and so you guys, you got to just go out and buy this daggone book, Difficult Conversations, because it is, so it's, Harvard has this group that focuses on negotiation and conflict and that kind of stuff. It's an awesome group. They release a lot of good stuff. This is one of the items from that, but this will give you the process kind of like opening up the hood and seeing what the bits and pieces and things that go on in a difficult conversation so you can know right. what the roadmap looks like. So, But I want to put this caveat out there. Once you know all this stuff, it'll be super helpful. But it doesn't mean that you're just going to feel hunky-dory and, you know, some kind of Vulcan, you know, passivity and not be... <laughs> you know, emotionally reactive in these situations. We're yeah. humans. We have real feelings going into this stuff. But just like a maybe a whitewater river that you've been on before, you know it's going to have some rapids, but you kind of know what the outlay of the river looks like and that there's an end in sight. This book will help you with that tool. And so that can help you calm yourself as you go through these process. Right, right. And you also need to assume, uh, oftentimes, when you're having these difficult conversations that we'll talk about here in the episode, uh, that the other person with whom you're having the conversation, they aren't necessarily going to have read this book. You know, I've, so I've used this this book actually in. <laughs> I have a uh, I, I teach a, a leadership class in for MBA students, and I use this book as one of the one of the many books that I made them read last semester, and. Uh, you know, sometimes students, many of the students, they said, you know, this is great. I love this book. How, how do I like get like this other person to understand this stuff, you know? Um, and that's part of the trick is you've got to be able to work with people who are not on the same, um, maybe knowledge or, uh, skill level. And that's, that's part of the, the whole game here. Um, and I, I like your metaphor of, you know, this is, this is kind of knowing what the river is going to look like when you have these difficult conversations. So why don't we uh, give a couple examples um, from uh, of difficult conversations? Oh, man. So you got an employee and they're stinking, right? <laughs> For whatever reasons. Yeah, I, either literally or figuratively. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Personal hygiene issue in the workplace, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that can be a challenge, right? Um, but... Anyway, lots of times you have to have a conversation with this person and, you know, we know the evidence says sooner is better than later, but for some reason you delay and then you delay again. And the more you delay, it builds up like more emotional intensity that even shouldn't be there. But, you know, that could be a difficult conversation like, hey, you know, Bill, your work product is just not up to snuff, you know. 
What's what's one for you, Ben? Yeah, so this could be when either someone at work or in your personal life is taking advantage of you and you know you feel Ugh. taken for granted. Uh, you're doing a lot of things um, that you think are beneficial to the relationship. The other person, in your view, is not uh, pulling his or her own weight. And that, over time, can really fester and create some real negativity and be damaging in the long run, right? Because uh, those emotions are going to leak into the conversation at some point. Uh, it could also go to the extreme. I've never really been in this situation, but it could, could include uh, you know, mistreatment, abuse, those types of situations as well. Uh, and, you know, we see this both in the workplace in terms of bullying and other types of just nastiness. Uh, and we also see this, of course, in uh, domestic situations. Right. You know, you think of that. What was that movie with the um, DiCaprio with the invest certain investment bank cultures? Right. Yeah. Um, or like sometimes I'll see this in sales organization where there's this total bro culture and <laughs> hazing. I mean, you see the hazing and stuff, that's, you know, some of us ridiculous. Yeah, I know you grow up around that. And anyway, so talking about that, like, Hey, you write my paycheck, but would you stop abusing me? I mean, there's a structural power thing. Those can be really challenging conversations. Cause what if you don't have cash to float around three or mm -hmm. four months looking for a job? Right. Right. And when there's that power differential and you've got a you know, it's not a poor performing direct report, but it's your boss who's creating these issues. That's a difficult conversation. Yeah. Hey, man, this culture's toxic and it's kind of your fault. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know we laugh, but it's only because we just see that all the time. And it's 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 a stress relief laugh. Not, I mean, it's just really bad, the stuff you yeah. see out there. Yeah. You know, it also could be when someone violates a policy, um, it could be delivering bad news to someone. Uh, those can oftentimes be difficult conversations, uh, making requests, getting somebody to try to do something, um, especially if it's uh, kind of a, a sizable type of request. Those can definitely be difficult as well. Right. So, I mean, difficult conversations, you got to have them, but mm -hmm. sometimes you shouldn't, right? <laughs> That's so, true. That's true. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's not worth it. So, Ben, when, when does it... When should you not make um, make a difficult conversation yeah. happen? So there are a couple of different times when it probably doesn't make sense to try to talk it out. You know, sometimes I feel like uh, the bias is towards, hey, you know, we just got to get everybody in there and really, you know, talk this thing out. That, that doesn't always actually do anything. And sometimes it can actually be damaging, uh, you know, but a couple of specific times in which it's not a good idea to try to go down this road of having the difficult conversation is number one, when you really take an honest look at, at the situation and you realize the problem is you, yeah. <laughs> right? You, you, you know, you realize that, Oh, I created this problem. I contributed a lot here and I need to change my behavior. That's definitely yeah. a time when the conversation probably isn't going to do a whole lot. All right. And there's, it's kind of a sign of a healthy psyche if you're reflecting on yourself first, right? Right. And, and, but it's not a natural thing, I think, for a lot of people. It's, this is a, a really tough thing to do. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I don't know if it is tough or not. I just know that you got to take a look at yourself. If you want to have psychological health, 
you have to take a look. That, now that doesn't mean victim blame. Like if you mm-hmm. if you've been if you've been legitly harassed or abused or wronged or whatever, um, you still have to take a look at yourself first. But that doesn't mean that you have to. And we'll get to that later in the episode. Um, accept blame or or any of that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But but you do need to make sure because if you're going to look like a freaking moron if you go into the conversation and the problem is you, you know, <laughs> you, you don't really have a leg to stand on. So we just want to throw that, um, yeah, throw that option out. And because difficult conversations are challenging, there are better options from having those conversations, like changing your approach. You know, mm-hmm. you could go through this big conversation that requires probably somebody to adjust the behavior they've had their whole life. Or if you, you know, if I just shoot this in an email request, he responds better than a paper request or something like that. Right. So when, when that, you know, number one, it doesn't make sense to have a difficult conversation when you realize that the problem truly is you. And number two, when there's a, an option that's better than talking, you know, and like you said, changing your behavior, your approach. And also just, you know, you need to do some some honest self-reflection and really ensure that your purpose for having the conversation makes sense. This can't be a situation where you're just going in to try to prove yourself right. Although that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is the, you know, the people who say, I'm just brutally honest. And it's like, okay, well, you know, how's that working for you? Yeah, you know, being brutal is... I mean, I guess it works for Conan the Barbarian, but I wouldn't recommend it for some other stuff, right? Or, <laughs> right. or you know, now that you've been listening to the podcast for a while, maybe maybe you've subscribed to some industrial and organizational psychology journals. You, you don't, you know, say like, well, here's 40 peer-reviewed papers saying what a crappy boss you are, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> Exhibit A, B, C, and D on how crappy you are. <laughs> Probably not the best approach. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, it may bring catharsis, but that would not be a purpose that makes sense, right? Correct. And that's being a jerk, too. So that's don't right. do it. That's right. So I think that kind of uh, helps explain a little bit about what a difficult conversation is. Uh, I think, you know, our listeners can probably think of many different situations that they've been in or, or uh, you know, have found themselves uh, around that constitute a difficult conversation. But one really key uh, aspect of difficult conversations that is described in this book is this idea of the the three conversations that are really going on in any one conversation. So uh, what's that all about? Well, yeah. So generally, and this just comes from not knowing the data, I think, or, or knowing what's going on under the hood here, is you think you're having a conversation about something. You know, generally, I think most people go to the what happened conversation, but Mm -hmm. but you're actually having three levels of dialogue at one time, which I think is what makes it hard to unpack the, the, the hard conversations. And so the three conversations just at a high level are what happened, the what happened conversation, the feelings conversation and the identity conversation. So what? Well, let's just go through those. So. So the the what happened conversation is well what went on mm-hmm. right um, yeah. go ahead and it, well it turns into you know kind of a uh, it's, it's almost like a trial you know you're interrogating each other and and coming up with your version of facts and so forth 
And, uh, you know, this is where a lot of conversations start. And if you're not careful, it can really start to derail things. But there are some things that you should do, you know, when you're having that conversation, when you're talking about what happened, that can make it a little bit better. Right. Uh, And, you know, you have this is a conversation that you're not going to have a difficult conversation without bringing up actual stuff that occurred. Right. Right. So so some best practices and kind of how to conduct the what happened conversation is you got to take a learning stance. Mm -hmm. Right. You you may think you know exactly what happened, but you need to explore the other person's story, how they saw it. You know, mm-hmm. you'd look like a complete numbskull if he said, oh, well, you didn't know this key fact. And you're like, oh, shoot. You know, right. It, you got yeah. you got to explore that other person. And it changes the tone of the conversation when you begin exploring. So if you come into a conversation like, look, man, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that's way different than, hey, so this was challenging. Could you help me understand what was going on from your perspective? Right. And what I loved about how you just phrased that is it's not accusatory. It's kind of talking about, you know, this is a challenge. This was a challenging thing that happened. Uh, It's not blaming the other person. And it's giving the other person the opportunity to share their story first instead of just, you know, spewing all the things that are on your mind. Ugh. Yeah. So (laughs) which doesn't usually work very well. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many, and I, I had one this past week um, where somebody was like, hey, here's what's going on, and it just wasn't the case. And But yeah, I we couldn't really get anywhere because it was just, and that like that's an example we we're talking earlier. Sometimes the other person doesn't know this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what you can do in those situations is maybe offer, it's like, hey, could we take a moment and maybe explore my view of the situation? Right. You know, you can you can use these terms to help guide the other side through this. So um, another piece of the what happened conversation is, is how to conduct it is, you know, don't assume they meant it. So mm-hmm. this is where we talk about disentangling intent from impact. Now, this may completely hose your world what went down, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but we're not mind readers. And like this is a big part of um, psychology or, or therapy that, you know, psychologists will deal with with patients is this idea of cognitive distortions. Um, that's where our, our brains are sense making tools. Um, some psychologists will send me an email and say this was wrong. But th- at a high level, this is and we we cannot read minds. But our minds are trying to make sense of the world around us. So we have to make a lot of guesses. And mm-hmm. lots of times our guesses are quite good. So good that we can miss sometimes. And yeah. we don't want to miss during these difficult conversations. So it's just because an action or something that happened um, really hosed your world doesn't mean that that other person intended to do it maliciously. Right, right. right. And, and even if you have some evidence to suggest that they, they really did, did mean it, uh, it doesn't help the conversation to go in guns blazing, um, assuming that, right? Right. So uh, I think it's very important to, to separate those two things, as you mentioned. And another thing you need to do when you're having this what happened conversation is stop blaming. Uh, uh, really, you know, abandon blame in this situation because – at its heart, blame is is about judging the other person 
and you know trying to figure out how they mess things up. Uh, and the alternative to that is thinking about what the authors call a contribution system and, and understanding that any, any root causes that lead to a difficult conversation oftentimes have multiple causal mechanisms, right? Um, everybody involved probably had some level of contribution to what happened. And this is about trying to understand the situation better instead of judging and blaming. Right. Uh, you know, when you focus on blame, it sets the wrong emotional tone. You got to mm-hmm. look at contributions and everything. There is, you know, everybody contributes something. Just, well, my con- sometimes your only contribution is I showed up to work that day. <laughs> right. Right. Like maybe it is totally, but you got, you got to talk about those. And, but there's some misconceptions with contributions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is you should only focus on my contribution. And this is like a type of self flagellation, right? Where, oh, oh no, you know, you don't want to be the, you know, suffering soul that, you know, oh, what did I do? And and there is, I don't know if there's some kind of mental catharsis or, you know, there's some, you know, pop psych articles on the web that talks about, oh, just, you know, look at yourself, look at, and that stuff's garbage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, be kind to yourself. You know, the other person likely contributed negatively right don't just focus on you that that would be a total misconception because you'll not be able to see accurately if you're only looking at one side even if that's your own side right right and you know another misconception that goes along with that is you know if you if i put aside blame it means i don't have to you know it means i'm also putting aside my feelings about it that's not true either right you you can have very strong feelings about things and there are ways to share those even in a difficult conversation. Uh, you know, the, this is not just about saying, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, let this person walk all over me. That's not at all what a difficult conversation is about. It's about trying to reach a solution, trying to map this contribution system in a way that allows for a better picture of, of, of the relationship and how to move forward to really emerge. Yeah, and, and your own psyche won't accept that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, people, you'll see this kind of stuff when, hey, why are you so nervous, Ben? Oh, oh, well, um, I've got a job interview in an hour and I'm terrified. Oh, well, don't be nervous. Oh, it, <laughs> magically, I'm not nervous now. You know, that it, it doesn't work. Our our brains. Oh, man, it'd be so great if they worked that way. But they just don't work that way. Right. And so when you're going to this conversation, if you try to put aside your feelings, it's not going to be successful and it's going to color the entire conversation. So, mm-hmm. so don't, don't do it. And then, and then the last misconception or one of the other main ones is exploring contributions means blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, don't do it, you know, right. um, right. go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, just because you're exploring what each person did in the situation, uh, doesn't mean that, that the person, you know, um, who was wronged uh, in the situation is being blamed, right? The, this is this is about figuring out, um, you know, how different actions uh, by the different parties all came together to create whatever mess you're in. Right. So yeah. I think that's pretty good. So the what happened conversation has to happen. You have to discuss, but you you want to explore each other's stories, 
Don't assume intent. Don't let your you know brain is flooded with emotions and stuff. Don't let it make you jump to conclusions and, and just take a learning stance uh, through that. That's um, right. so, the, so the next conversation, Ben, is the feelings conversation. And this is generally the guts of the difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the conversation that's happening kind of between the lines of the what happened conversation. Uh, you know, oftentimes we're saying this is about a specific thing that happened, um, but it's really about, you know, the feelings that are associated with it. And, you know, that's this is really important to recognize. Yeah, the feelings are why it's even a difficult conversation. You know, if you were a, a, an android or something, you wouldn't have difficulties with any conversations. But it, we fear the outcome. Fear mm-hmm. is a strong emotion, right? Very strong. Um, and, yeah, and so those are the things that that's why they're difficult conversations to begin with. So often we say the problems about what happened, right, or something specific, but it's really about the feelings that that are going into that. Like, you know, when you talked over me in the meeting repeatedly, I felt slighted. Mm-hmm. You know, rather, Bill, you talked over me in the meeting repeatedly. <laughs> There's no conversation. The fact that you have feelings about it is why you're even go. So when we ignore the true root cause, we miss solving anything. And mm-hmm. our feelings matter. You know, there's this, and I don't know if it was the corporatization or the, who knows what fully drove it. It's very complex, but the, the idea that we're just another brick in the wall, right? A cog in the machine <laughs> type thing. Um, oh, you become a better employee by subsuming all your humanity and, you know, just being hitting the grindstone every day, right? Mm-hmm. That That's not what goes on. And we got to stop deceiving ourselves. We're flesh and blood. We have feelings. If we ignore them in these difficult conversations, we're actually not it Because it's about the feelings, right? You mean I can't just stuff down my feelings and drown them in alcohol and Netflix? Well... You can, <laughs> but nobody might want to live with you, you That's know? Right. So, <laughs> not you know, a good tactic. Yeah, right. that might be a kick the can for a moment, but they're going to come to roost and they yep. get worse in the workplace when you don't address them. So, when you don't express those feelings in the conversation, and this is one of those things that can help conversa- difficult conversations go well, is saying, you know, I feel really upset right now. Mm-hmm. Or, I was mad when you, you know, when you don't get those things out of there, those feelings will cloud the conversation. So, yeah, and they can and they can leak into the conversation and make you say things that then you actually didn't mean. Right. Yeah, you got Uh, it. And you you can't really listen either mm -hmm. because you're just thinking about these things. And lots of times your mind is racing like, how do I make it about what happened? But really, it's about my feelings. Right. And during these conversations, because of this emotional response, you you can start to have physiological changes, right? So when the stress responses start kicking in, you know, you start, you know, you may start feeling flushed, you may start, your heart might start racing, you might start sweating, like these are very common things that happen during these difficult conversations. And this starts to cloud your thinking. And one way to um, get through that is actually express some of your, your feelings to, to talk about, you know, what you're feeling right in that moment. Uh, and then this can make it easier to move forward and to listen, uh, as part of the conversation. Yeah. And so when you don't, it kind of takes a toll on your self-esteem mm-hmm. and it takes a toll on the relationship. You know, 
before I knew all this stuff and heck, a couple times I just screwed up a difficult conversation, even after knowing this stuff is, you know, when I just focus on the facts and, you know, maybe I was so flooded, I, I couldn't say anything when mm-hmm. I, for me to recover from the difficult conversation gone bad took way longer because I, I didn't express, you know, I feel really upset by this or, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. But that being said, don't vent. Right. <laughs> this is not a time to like emotionally puke all over the person. Right. Yeah. Find somebody else to to do that with. Right. Find your good friend to do that with. And then and then go have the conversation uh, and in, in a way where you're not venting, but you are being honest about your feelings, right? So you want to frame those feelings back into whatever you're talking about and how they, um, you know, may have contributed to what's going on in the conversation and, you know, express those kind of the full spectrum of your feelings because oftentimes our, our emotions are very complex and you may feel conflicting things. It's like, you know, I feel very proud to be a part of this organization. At the same time, I feel like I'm being taken for granted and used, you know, those can, or, those feelings can happen at the same time, and that's what makes this really hard. And I think it's it's okay and even helpful to acknowledge and express that full spectrum of what's going on. Right. And, you know, those their feelings, they just happen, right? So, so don't judge yourself for having those conflicted feelings or even feelings that don't fully make sense. But expressing them out using the I feel message is great. But what you don't want to do is get into blaming the person. You made me feel angry. You, those emotions just happen. Like nobody forces you to have anything. We just have these responses as part of who we are and how we were raised, and a, a whole host of complex issues. Yeah, right. You know, so don't get into the blame game when you're when you're talking about your feelings and so forth. Um, and you know, sometimes once you kind of get these feelings out there and uh, and explore them a little bit sometimes the difficulty starts to resolve itself because this is, as you already mentioned, generally at the, at the heart of difficult conversations, these feelings. Yeah. And and sometimes when you get the feelings out, that was all that mattered. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the book, they had the example of a bride and a dad, you know, she wanted a certain type of wedding and he, he wanted to get something cheaper, but you know, really the dad was having a hard time letting his daughter go. Yeah. Right. And so it wasn't even about getting the cheaper thing or fighting over the details of the dates. It was really just about, hey, I don't, as a father, I don't know how to let you go. And it really feels bad for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then they were able to move forward. And there's lots of times anybody that's been in a relationship or existed, sometimes just airing, airing out the feelings makes it all better. Um, right. Not right. Not all the time. That'd be too easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, okay. So we've talked about the what happened conversation, the feelings conversation. The last one, and this one is is pretty deep. This is the identity conversation. Mm. And uh, gosh, it, it has these kind of three big questions that are embedded in that conversation. Uh, so what are those? So you've got this. Well, the three questions are, am I competent? Am I a good person? And am I worthy of love? And mm-hmm. um, those are challenging. And if you're listening, you're probably like, oof, man, that yeah. cuts to the core. And this is why um, 
I like that these are the three main questions about identity because it cuts straight to the chase of our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to have these things. And this is also why, you know, as if you're a leader or individual contributor, anybody within an organization or navigate, if you're anybody but a trust fund um, baby um, that has to interact with people, <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to sort these things out. The more solid you can be with yourself, and this is why I totally recommend therapy for executives and people that we coach, is if you haven't really sorted these out for yourself, um, you're probably going to have more difficult conversations because more things will threaten your identity. So am I competent? Everybody right. wants to know that they're good at something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take the example of trying to do some sort of, you know, performance feedback with, uh, you know, your direct report with, you know, a coworker, maybe even with your boss trying to talk about performance or what someone's doing. These conversations are difficult because of this identity component, because at the at the heart of it uh, is or one piece of this is that you're questioning and you're raising this idea that, you know, am I competent? Am I do I deserve this job? Uh, Am I a good worker? Am I a good leader, a good manager, whatever it is? And, you know, that's that's really can be very challenging. And, you know, sometimes when we're having these difficult conversations, this is really in the background uh, that is causing us to dig in our heels and to really kind of make it even worse than it should be. Right. And and then there's questions of self, like, Mm -hmm. am I a good person? And, you know, a lot of people don't spend a lot of purposeful time thinking about their own moral constructs, um, how they think about things. Um, even people that come from a faith background, um, often just assume the one that's modeled around them and doesn't, they don't give it a whole lot of personal scrutiny. So it's becomes easy for somebody to come in, um, that maybe can mess with that person's sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start questioning, like, wait a minute, am I, am I good? And, you know, gaslighting is something that goes on. And, and the, the final one is, am I worthy of love? And this is such a sense of self kind of thing that it's, you know, like, what if I just gave my whole sense of self over to you, Ben? Uh, you know, <laughs> am I worthy of love? And depending on how we're working that day, you know, I'm either having a great day or a horrible day. It doesn't, as an executive, as a manager, as as a person navigating life, if you don't have that solid sense of self or a kind of innate, your operating rhythm under the hood of your brain is, I am a worthy person. I am a good person. I'm proud of how I'm living my life. I am competent. Then other people and situations that you can't read, like we talk about disentangling intent, Something happens, you're like, oh, that person thinks I'm a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Well, that person may not have thought anything, but now your entire sense of self is crashing on itself because you haven't sorted out those identity issues. So, like, identity is a complex thing, a complex thing, and it's subject to these things that we call cognitive distortions. Ben, mm-hmm. what's a cognitive distortion? So this is any time when we're misrepresenting the information that we're being presented with or when we are uh, kind of changing our perception of reality in a way that's uh, that's not representative of what's actually happening. And so with regard to identity, 
a, a common one is when we have this kind of all or nothing thinking. You know, if I think I am a good leader, like that's a really part, big part of my identity, then it's going to be very challenging for me to hear and accept any kind of feedback that, uh, you know, I may have messed something up. Yeah, right? or, you, or you get a bad performance review, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're like, I am absolutely worthless. Right. I don't e- deserve to exist. That's that's not true. So, like, even if you get fired from your daggone job, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the psychology, we should do an episode on getting fired, but the, the psychology is lots of times people will get to that all, or, I am worthless, I am horrible, I'm not a provider, I'm not, you know, on and on and on and on and on. What's well, not true? I mean, you mm-hmm. just cannot. There's probably only one person that is the worst person in the world by any objective measures, and it's you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent likely you're not that person. <laughs> That's right. right? So you got to get real. So if you and the the other distortion, you say, oh well, I'm a good manager. Well, dude, you're probably not the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. None of us we are. are yeah, we're complex people. We got our pluses and minuses. You know, people that talk about sports, you know, it's like, well, you know, Randy really has a good passing game, but their defense isn't so, you know, that we we got to start seeing ourselves as a complex beings that we are and accept that and, and, you know, drive on, right? Yeah, yeah. And when I look back at, you know, all the different leadership situations that I've been over the past, you know, gosh, 20 years or so, uh I really see how I have developed a much more complex and healthy uh, I, view of my own identity. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I used to, I used to be, so I still am somewhat of a perfectionist. I like to do things really well and so forth. But I've realized how, you know, that is a really limiting way. If I see, if I view myself as I do things perfectly, Gosh, that I mean, that just re- then I really get messed up when I when I would screw something up, and now it's like, hey, you know what? I do some things really, really, really well. I'm pretty aware of those things, and there's some things that I screw up, you know, on a semi regular basis, and I'm not so worried about those things because I have people around me who can help me with that kind of stuff, or you know, not being as upset when something goes wrong. Uh, and it actually is a real source of strength because then, you know, you're confident in those things that you can do well and you're not as worried or as threatened by stuff that goes on, on in your environment that's, that may, maybe otherwise would have threatened your identity. Right. And, and it's super important to ground your identity. Um, so, you know, be differentiated from the people around you. Do not be emotionally infected by the stuff that they throw on you. And you do that by, knowing who you are. And then also, I mean, everybody will always have some identity issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a troop drive. We we can't live in isolation. So we do calibrate ourselves to an extent from the people around us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only way to stabilize yourself individually, so you're less likely to be infected and derailed by some of these identity issues and conversations that threaten those um threaten your identity like hey let's talk about your management style it's not working out oh gosh you know (laughs) if you if you're not grounded in yourself and proud of what you're doing if you're not change those things so you can be proud about yourself Mm -hmm. right but you gotta know what your identity issues are so you can be prepared so when you're going into a difficult conversation where they're going to maybe talk about your performance as a manager or a leader 
you have to be like, okay, well, I'm not the best in the world. So let's put that learning hat on. Right. 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 But, but if you don't know that you have an identity issue around, I need to be, I really desire to be perceived as a good manager or something that not knowing those going into the conversation, you're more likely to be derailed. Yes, that's very true. And I think there's some core things that the book mentions that you need to really recognize about yourself. And the first one is you're going to make mistakes. Uh, Just in life, you're going to screw things up. Uh, You're going to screw things up when you have these difficult conversations, you know, Uh, right in the middle of them. And, you know, some, one of the best things or a, a good tactic, if you realize that you're doing it, is saying, okay, I, I just messed up what I wanted to say. Can we, can we re-engage? I really want to stay in this conversation and get, get back to what I really mean here because I messed up what I just said. Uh, that's, that's very important. And the other one is, you know, your intentions are actually very complex. Um, Oof, and and yeah. I mean, I think of this example, um, you know, with, with children, you know, when you're raising kids and let's say, you know, you're getting ready to go somewhere and, you know, your, your kids are wearing something goofy and you really wanted them to like wear like matching outfit or whatever. Um, don't you know, do that to your kids. No, we generally don't. But, but, it, but it, the, the funny thing about your intentions is like you can trick yourself. You can say, you know, I want them to, you know, be presentable or whatever. And it's and I mean, really, maybe your intention is actually you want other people to see you and your family as being perfect. I mean, like that actually could be a big part of your intention there. Um, and, and these things are, are kind of all over the place. We, we are very good at tricking ourselves and, and making ourselves feel like our intentions are always pure and, uh, you know, really well-intentioned. But that's not necessarily yeah, all, all it's, the case. It's never the case, right? Yeah. You know, especially <laughs> – and I see this in people that are highly motivated that really want to climb the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come in and play dirty sometimes, like with, sure. with politics, or sometimes you just want to win. Like if you're one of those Strava people that, you know, you want to run or get the Strava record for that bike, you know, lane or race or whatever, you know, some people, it's just a part of their psyche is being competitive, uh, mm-hmm. competitive and stuff like that, right? So just understand that you may like, Yes, I want to be a part of this organization, and I also want to stab Gary in the back politically. Like right. you, you can have these. <laughs> you you kind of have to make peace with some of those bad features that might be part of who you are. You know, wait. There's almost like this assumption that there's a bunch of Mother Teresas walking around. You know, the <laughs> corporate world, and anybody that has you know any awareness at all knows that that's not what the jungle of this work life thing is right far far from it (laughs) and and you're part of the problem you know (laughs) right or you know they're just like you're in a work environment with a complete monster who's horrible and has conflicting intentions conflicting emotions and then there's the people you work with right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you got to make peace with that if you're going to do these conversations well and that's right and that brings us to the other core thing which is you've contributed to the problem generally right you know you know with for example you got that poor performing employee uh you know okay be honest have you really set expectations well with that person have you really you know helped that person understand what their job is and what success looks like right and and if the answer is eh, maybe or uh, not really 
Well, guess what? You also contributed to the problem. You know, how long have you gone uh, noticing that something was going on wrong and not mentioned anything? Oh, <laughs> oh man. And I've seen this in like the army and out in the corporate world where somebody comes in and like maybe the guy didn't do anything. And, you know, the, the sentiment's like, well, be be more lucky next time. <laughs> right. You know, like if you're that person saying that kind of stuff, well, I can't point to something's wrong, but you just need to have better luck. Like you're also part of the problem too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, in these difficult conversations, uh, you might need to raise these identity issues specifically. You know, so uh, you know you may even need to say, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, or what I'm interpreting here is that you don't think I'm doing a good job. Uh, you don't think I'm, you know, a, a good employee. Is that right? Um, and, and those types of things. Uh, right, you know, and and even be more specific about the identity. Yeah. Like, you know, do you think I'm a bad employee? Mm-hmm. You know, like get, you know, because there's the what happened, you know, did I do a bad job here? Right. And there's the feelings, you know, I, I felt really mad when you told me you need to talk to me about subpar performance. And and then the identity thing is, hey, what I hear you saying is I'm not a worthwhile employee or a person or a dad or a boss. Is that right? You know, that that's cutting to the chase of saying, you know, when you do these things, when you act in this toxic way or whatever, it makes me feel like I don't even belong on this planet. You know, th- yeah. th- bring it to that identity piece. Right. You know, another good example that, that I think is, is fantastic here is, you know, uh, specifically mentioning, you know, I'm sensitive to criticism of my work, but I also realize I need feedback. Uh, can we be aware of that as we talk about it? You know, uh, that's recognizing this dual competing type of identity issue that's going on. It's like, I, you know, I'm very sensitive to getting criticism. I also realize I need feedback. It's a, it's a, it's not an either or it's a both and situation and throwing it out there and saying, can we be aware of that dynamic as we talk about my performance? Right. Yeah. And, and if you've got these struggles with identity, again, professional help with a, you know, a mental health professional can be, really awesome mm-hmm. um you got to take care of yourself you know uh if identity issues and like emotional regulation some of these are regularly influence your work it's you know if if you got a cavity in your tooth you're gonna get it filled right mm-hmm. you know if you've got a cavity in your emotional and personal life you need need to take care care of yourself you know life isn't fair we weren't all raised by you know parenting phd experts that actually live what they research right <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so uh, you know most of us didn't come from that place but we can take responsibility of our own lives and sort those issues and it'll help you have these difficult conversations um and navigate them right and it'll help you maintain some of that balance as you're having the conversation if you walk into there with with some of your identity issues sorted out or at least some awareness of them, it'll help you, uh, you know, have less of a probability of getting knocked off balance and getting derailed during the conversation. Right. Because even if you have all this stuff locked down tight and you've done really well, you're still subjected to those normal forces of the difficult conversation, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, what happened, the feelings and identity stuff, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So the, those are the the three conversations that are happening in any 
difficult conversation, and they're kind of happening at the same time, the what happened, the feelings, and then the identity conversation. So I think that we can kind of move now to talking a little bit about how you can prepare for and even conduct these difficult conversations. Right. So, I mean, there's pretty much five steps to it, Ben. So what's the first one? So the first one is prepare by walking through the three conversations that we just talked about. And maybe we can we can talk about all five and then we can uh, explore them a little bit more. So that's number mm-hmm. one. Number two is check your purposes, right? Really try to be honest with yourself and decide whether or not this is something you want to raise. Number three is start from what's called the third story. And we'll explain what that means uh, in, a, in a few moments. Um, number four is exploring their story and yours. And then number five is moving on to problem solving. So, um, you know, number one, we already talked about preparing, you know, walking through those three conversations and checking your purposes. Number two, deciding whether to raise it. So let's talk a little bit about this third story thing. This is step number three. So start from the third story. This is the idea of what what an unbiased observer, to the best of your ability, you know, would, would have said about uh, the situation. So what's right, this all and- about? Yeah, I, I want to real quick go back to, so when you prepare by walking through the three conversations, don't just right. look at it. Pull out a piece of paper, and this is where you can be really deliberate and, and talk about what happened. Maybe write a little summary. Um, feelings, like explore those things, you know, go through a, a checklist, you know, identity. What identity issues does this bring up for me? You know, write, write, and then write the answers to those things. That's good. And then check in your purpose. What do you want to accomplish? Right. And and those kinds of things. So you can kind of have that, you know, that's a purposeful preparation rather than just being like, oh, yeah, you know, what happened? Feelings, identity. You know, you, you got to be really intentional with that. Right. So, and what that'll help you. I'm glad you brought that up because what that'll help you do is during the difficult conversation, you know, your mind might just given how we are. Your mind might start racing in many different directions. You might start feeling very emotional and get emotionally flooded and not be able to think really very clearly. And by having some of that written down, um, you, you can come back to it and it'll help you kind of regain your your footing. Right. All right. So starting from the third story uh, or unbiased observer or, I've you know, some people have called this, you know, imagine you're in a helicopter looking down at what's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is trying to come out of your mind, you know, trying to kind of put on shelf the identity and feelings part and trying to look from the perspective of somebody that doesn't have all that baggage that we just bring to interactions. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're talking about, you know, starting to describe the situation in a way that, you know, you're talking about observable things uh, and behaviors um, that aren't just, you know, from your own perspective. Uh, so you'd be talking kind of about a more holistic picture, as you mentioned, of what, what happened. And the important thing is, you're, you know, you don't, it's very natural for us to want to start kind of within our own story. And just, you know, lo- oftentimes the difficult conversation is, you know, I'm going to just talk about what happened and I'm going to talk about it from my perspective. Uh, that is not a good idea. Um, why would that not be a good idea? Right, because you're just <laughs> in your own head at that point. That's and right. the person's going to be like, whoa. You know, it feels like yeah. almost an assault, right? It does, yes. And it... and and so that's going to make them defensive right away. And that's not mm-hmm. a good way to open. So you, you really got to start 
thinking like a mediator, you know, Mm -hmm. put on your mediator hat. If you were going to come and, and that's going to change your posture. And, um, you know, when you start to, you know, exploring each other's stories, being able to describe the difference in the stories. So, oh, so Ben, when that happened, you were thinking this. However, because I only saw these things happening, I was thinking that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That can be very helpful. So you're starting from that third story. Um, you know, this, you're talking about those differences between the different stories. Now, this doesn't mean that you should just give up on your own perspective, right? So you start with the the third story, but you will get out, get to a point where you're going to explore your perspective. Um, now, if, if they start the conversation, and often, you know, sometimes a difficult conversation is not something that, that you initiate, uh, then, you know, you can, they, oftentimes they will start launching into it by talking about their story. You can acknowledge what they said, but then you can pull back and then you can come kind of reframe it and say, well, can we talk about it kind of from a different perspective? And then try to inter- interject that third story into the conversation. Right, right. So this is a, a prime example of you knowing the tools and the flow of difficult conversation mm-hmm. and the three conversations that happen. You can use that to shape their approach. Okay, so this is what you're saying. Hey, let's explore my story now. You can have some of these key phrases that can start to flip the conversation in a more productive way. That's right. That's right. So that's step number three, starting from that third story, the unbiased observer. So you've prepared by walking through the three three conversations. Number one, number two, you've checked your purposes, decided whether or not to raise it. Number three, you've started from that third story and uh, tried to provide an unbiased account to the best of your ability about what's going on. Uh, Number four is then moving from the third story and, and going towards exploring their story and your story. Right. So this this is kind of where you make a bid for them. Like, hey, this is my purpose here, right? Um, I want to invite you to be a partner with me as we explore these things. Now, it doesn't have to be as trite as that, but that's kind of, you know, getting, hey, I'm having this conversation that's challenging because, like, that's a good way to lead out with your intention. And then, you know, pulling around like, hey, would you partner with me and like, working through this. I, this can't be pleasant for either of us, but let's do it, right? Right. You know, one time I heard uh, someone talking about, you know, giving difficult performance feedback, and he really put it uh, nicely. And he said, you know, these conversations are hard. And part of the the challenge is, you know, don't give up on it too early. Like, if it's going badly, like, you know, as as long as it's not completely derailing, you know, stay in the conversation and say, look, I really want us to get to a better place here. But can we can we continue this conversation? You know, we may say things we don't mean. Let's let's figure this out, uh, and that that may happen. And it's very important during this time of of sharing stories. And you know, so you've already shared the third story. You've already kind of explored theirs and yours um, to really actively listen to the other person. You know, and, th- and this is something you've got to be intentional about because it is oftentimes our reaction and our just kind of our instinct to be thinking about what we want to say next. <laughs> you know, when, so, when someone's talking, it's like, I'm just gonna, I'm thinking about what I want to say instead of truly hearing them. Right, right. This, this isn't about making speeches and being eloquent, right? No. Um, you, you gotta be curious. Um, you gotta be aware of your thoughts. You need to acknowledge those feelings. I mean, this, this takes some 
personal skill and juggling these balls while you're you're going through this stuff. You, you mm-hmm. got to ask some good questions. Paraphrasing's good, you know. Hey, so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, that that's super important. And and but you don't give up on yourself just going through. Don't go into therapist mode where you're going to let them get out all their emotions, feelings, perspectives, and you just say, uh huh, uh huh, right? right? You have a right to speak. You need to make sure the the goal is isn't to be a therapist for them, but to make sure that you both get your stories, your feelings, your identity issues out there, so you can both kind of look at the chessboard, see where things lie, and and make an informed decision. Right. And, you know, one thing that you can do is start with those things that really matter most to you and don't make them guess about it. Right. So right. you you say, look, I want to have this conversation because I, you know, let's take the example of the, the poor performing employee, because I think you are, you know, you have great potential here. I really want to make this work. We hired you for a reason. And I want to have a conversation about how we can make that better. Right. And, you know, that that helps set the tone for for where you're headed with the conversation and starts to speak to some of those other other things, those other issues of identity and feelings as well. Right. And so if you're, you know, then going into the mode of telling your story, uh, you know, a couple of things you want to really be careful about. You want to um, present your story, but don't present your conclusions as the truth. You know, uh, that, that's not going to be helpful because that's not, ex- you know, continuing to extend that invitation to explore and map the contribution that you both probably had to the to the situation. Um, you can also share kind of where your conclusions come from. This is why I'm feeling this way. And uh, it can be hard in the moment, but try to avoid and don't exaggerate using words like always and never. That's just, uh, you know, more black and white. All yeah. or nothing thinking. It's a total distortion. That's right. And it, it just really can uh, inflame the situation and make it worse. Um, and kind of going back to that active listening and paraphrasing type of stuff, you can ask them to paraphrase stuff back to you. Say, okay, now, now I've shared what I, what I see. Are you, can you, you know, tell me uh, you know, what, how you see uh, what I just said, right? Um, and then ask, how do you see it differently? And why do you see it differently? And this is all about exploring those different uh, stories, those different contributions. Right, right. So, yeah, you know, this is a great time to make sure that, you know, people say, when you did this, this meant you got to be careful of those like intentions versus impact, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to make sure that you, um, and even introducing that vocabulary in the conversation, like, hey, we can't... It, know people's intentions, but we can talk about the impact of what happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and, and if you find the conversation is running off course, it's, you know, the person is kind of taking a different direction, uh, reframe it and just keep doing that. Say, okay, today's conversation is about this, right? This is what I want to talk about. Uh, you know, we could talk about that other thing another time. This is what we want to talk about today. So reframe it. Uh, that, that'll keep you on track. Um, and, you know, always be uh, trying to make, take the, the, the time to listen, be persistent about uh, the conversation. And, you know, if there is some sort of specific issue, you've got to name the dynamic, right? You, gotta, you can do what, what the, uh, the folks in counseling psychology call a, uh, a process comment, you know? It's like, okay, 
I just want to pause right now. And what I see is, you know, we're, we're both starting to um, make accu- accusations and, and it feels like that's not going to be productive. Can we stop doing that? You know, uh, that can be a really helpful way to get things back on track. Right. Um, and it, it just interdicts because lots of times people, they're, they're scared of the difficult conversation, terrified, terrified. It finally happens. And so, you know, it's, you know, jumping off the high dive for the first time as a kid, right? You know, mm-hmm. for the pool, you know, back in the day when they had high dives at pools, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, insurance is hard, but, uh, yeah. you know, you know, you lots of times you don't see somebody just get up and walk on off it when they're terrified. You know, they look right. at it, look at it, and then they, then they have to force themselves to jump. Like maybe they even walk and they just run for it. So sometimes with difficult conversations, people just run for it. And your job as somebody that knows the secret sauce of difficult conversations is to slow that stuff down mm-hmm. um, and help get them on a meaningful way because their inner psyche is also terrified of this conversation. That's right. So after you've done uh, the, you know, step number four, which is exploring their story and your story, then and only then can you really move on to problem solving. Uh, you know, This is the time when you can start Moving on, looking towards solutions, ways to peacefully coexist, um, to develop some sort of collaborative alliance with that person. And, you know, keep in mind that it, it when you're coming up with different solutions and you're doing some problem solving, it, it takes two people to agree, right? So you need to uh, also be on board with what's going on. Maybe you can even, even propose a test. Say, hey, can we try this and see how it goes to make things better? Uh, that, that's one thing that you can do. Yeah, lots of times these difficult conversations go, all right, here's what's happened. Let's problem solve. And you you miss all the guts. <laughs> and that's why the things recur, right? Because you really didn't deal with the substantive, you know, parts of it. Right, right. Great. Uh, so those are some five steps to prepare for and, and conduct these difficult conversations. Uh, Want to recap of what we talked about today? Yeah, so today we talked about what a difficult conversation is and when to have them or not have them. Um, We talked about the three conversations, which is what happened, uh, feelings, and identity. And then we talked about how to prepare and conduct these uh, challenging conversations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you went pretty well. Telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.